This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Illini Enquirer podcast. Just days away from the start of the college football season. It starts at Champaign's Memorial Stadium as Illinois kicks off against Nebraska. It's going to be a hot and humid one. And uh, whenever Nebraska comes to town, it is an event because the nicest fan base in the country, as most people refer to them, uh, they make their way in droves. And I would expect the excitement of being back at a game. Uh, they will be uh, selling a couple thousand tickets here in Champaign. But the, the media presence of Nebraska is intense. And uh, one of those media members, Husker 247's Mike Schaefer, is joining us. And uh, Mike, I, I got to say that the per capita radio, sports radio shows in, yeah. in Nebraska Lincoln is, is really impressive because I've been hit up by, by so many of you. But it's amazing that this, this capital city that has, what, 320,000 people in it, gosh, they can't get enough of their Nebraska football. Yeah, uh, you, you said the nicest fan base. I feel like that is starting to, to fade away a little bit. It's easy to be nice when you win games. It's it's a lot harder for that fan base to carry that title when they're going four and eight and five and seven and three and five and everything else that they've been uh, as of late. But no, this uh, I thought that the media might get a little smaller after four straight losing seasons. It I think has only grown. So I don't I don't understand how that works or why that works. But I also now have a three-hour radio show that I didn't have, so I'm part of the problem. So well, I, I don't make it. I don't make it any better. And uh, we're thankful that we can call people like you and have you on to to talk to us about Illinois, Nebraska coming up from your end of things as well. But I, I don't know about you, Jeremy, but the excitement to just get the season underway really high, um, and a lot of people are looking at this Nebraska Illinois game for Nebraska as a must-win. Uh, it just the way that the Scott Frost era has been, they get this win, then they get Fordham and Buffalo, and they can be three and zero. They haven't won three straight games under Scott Frost ever, right? Ever, yeah, Mike. So this, this is a big, big game on Saturday. Yeah, and I want to get into that, but I want to set that up by let's go. You're you're four for Scott Frost and three straight missed bowl games, which I didn't think would ever be possible at a place like Nebraska, right? And and well, four no, straight for the program. Yeah, yeah, yeah and and I. No one can argue with with hiring Scott Frost. It seemed like a home run at the time. The guy comes back to his alma mater after what he did at UCF. So this is probably a loaded question, but entering year four, what has gone wrong his first three years? Yeah, um, uh, sort of variety of everything. Uh, I, I think for me, more than anything, Scott Frost has not been as good of an in-game coach as Nebraska fans might have expected for a guy who had an undefeated season at UCF, for a guy who capped that undefeated season with a win over then top 10, or I think number five, Auburn, uh, the same Auburn team that took Alabama out of that season. And uh, I think they or took took Alabama out of the SEC championship game that year. Alabama ended up winning the national title. Um, but there was 
there was a lot of optimism because coming off of Mike Riley, who people liked as a person, but questioned whether he had the the wherewithal to to take the team to any level um, beyond middling. The idea was that Scott Frost was young and brash and knew what he was doing and was going to usher in a great offense and all of these things. And instead, what we've seen is a coaching staff that second-guessed itself quite a bit, that enters with strategies that don't make sense for the teams that they're playing, that has failed to commit to a running back behind uh, beyond Divino Zigbo over the last two years, uh, and, and largely has put a ton of the weight on Adrian Martinez's shoulders to be Superman. And he hasn't responded aside from a really good 2018, which is also the last time Nebraska had a bunch of talent on offense. All of that to say, they like this team a lot, and it's easy to see why. This is the best group they've had from an offensive skill set since that 2018 team, and they're very experienced on defense. But it has not been – I don't think people thought it was going to be a quick turnaround in the way that he went undefeated in year two. But no one thought that within three years you'd still be asking for a bowl game and a winning season uh, because talent hasn't been an issue. I know that there's a lot of that gets out there. Scott Frost had more than enough talent to win six games in 2019 and in 20, well, 2020, whatever we're going to call that for four games, whatever a 500 or better season would be. Uh, and they just gave games away. And uh, they, they've done it each of the last three seasons. The fear is that's just emblematic in the DNA of, of, of potentially this coaching staff. Uh, and so that's, that's where things sit. And the annoying thing is that they do just enough things that make it feel like they're right around the corner of the breakthrough is coming and just enough things to make you think the breakthrough is never going to happen. Yeah. And so Nebraska is just existing in that weird college football limbo, which is arguably the worst place for a program to be. And that's why, Mike, when you see these, like, who enters the season on the coaching hot seat? It's uh, always Scott Frost's picture, it feels like, in the tease photo <laughs> on Twitter. And I don't want to be out of town stupid, but, like, there's a, there's a new athletic director. He's obviously had a disappointing tenure to this point. And then you add now this NCAA investigation uh, over him. How much pressure is on Scott Frost? Like, would, would Trev Alberts pull the plug if it doesn't go well this season? Like, give us the in-town, like, actual um, informed beat writer kind of take on the situation. It's interesting. I, I totally get why he appears on these lists. Like, I, I fully understand you're 12 and 20 over three seasons. That's not good anywhere, let alone a place that has fired two different nine-win coaches in the last 20-some years. So I – I fully understand why Scott Frost leads off a lot of those lists. The, the thing that's hard for people to grasp is that in 2017, when he was hired, it's probably the best behind the scenes politically that this place has been in terms of moving in one direction with a football coach since Tom Osborne. And there was a lot of people that wanted to give Scott Frost a lot of rope. He's burned a lot of that rope uh, through both the losses on the field, through actions um, off the field, not necessarily bad things, Though certainly having your name attached with the NCAA and investigation never sounds good. When you dig into that a little bit, being investigated for improper use of an analyst, which is something that I think eight other teams are being investigated for at the same time, uh, isn't a huge deal. It's a secondary violation. I'm sure they will be found guilty of it. Uh, I, I feel, I know that they, they use their analysts like another coach. I mean, it's, it's very common practice in college football at this point in time. I don't think it's the kind of thing that's going to be held over Scott Frost's head 
as far as uh, what he didn't do correct at Nebraska. It's just something they got turned in for and they have to deal with that. Uh, so those those things all add up, and I, I understand why he's on those lists. But unless Nebraska goes four and eight or three and nine, he's he's likely back for 2022. One, there's the buyout money. Like obviously, it'd be expensive to move on from him. But two, it would be politically unpopular still for Trev Alberts to come in, who has his own back history with Nebraska fans by being the the athletic director at UNO, which subsequently cut a national championship winning wrestling program and a good football program to move into D1 hockey. Um, so there's it It would be a difficult move, barring a just collapse of a season, to move on from Scott Frost. So more than likely, he's going to be a Nebraska coach in 2022. These articles generally fail to, to dive into that. Um, and I think it's because on the surface, he hasn't won. And this is a place that fires people that don't win enough. And so it, it's hard to understand, but I, I expect him back. For 2022, I think Nebraska is going to be right in that five and seven to seven and five range. You know, the ball bounces a couple different ways. They could either end up having their fourth losing season under them or their first winning season. But I don't look for them to be competitive for the division. Uh, I don't look for them to be 2019 Minnesota. Uh, but it's a it's a team that's in a really unique spot and a program that's in a really unique spot. And barring just to collapse, I think Frost is here for at least another year. Yeah, for Illinois fans, it reminds me of Lovey Smith going into 2019. I got why people thought he was on the hot seat, but um, I, I didn't think it was. I was one of those people, so yeah. I, I get it. When you're outside the bubble, it's harder to diagnose what's actually happening with the people that make those decisions inside. Right. Yeah, I, I just felt like he was going to have two years to kind of do it, given what he took over, and ended up being the case and ended up being fired after those two years. So, okay, let's let's focus on the team because – Illini fans see them as seven-point underdogs at home to a team they crushed last year. It wasn't competitive. Um, but Illinois was awful after that. They had three uncompetitive losses. Nebraska, that was their low point against Illinois last season, and they bounced back. And while they went 2-2, two and two, it was a much more competitive, much more uh, good-looking football team. And the biggest change was Adrian Martinez went back to quarterback. Luke McCaffrey uh, got benched, and, and obviously he transferred I couldn't understand why Martinez was on the bench, given my history of watching him against Illinois. But he is back as the starting quarterback. What, what has been the journey of Scott Frost and Adrian Martinez, and, and what can Martinez give them? Because I, I feel like he's got the ceiling, Mike, of, of being one of the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten. Uh, but we, we've also seen him struggle. So what are expectations for him this year? Expectations from the fans uh, are pretty pretty high. I mean, just because they have been. I mean, this is a guy. It, it's hard to remember this. Nebraska chose Adrian Martinez over Joe Burrow in the spring of 2018. You know, it gets brought up every single time since, and it didn't look like a bad decision at the end of the 2018 season. When you're talking about a guy with, I think, 19 touchdowns, nine interceptions, several rushing touchdowns and was number four on the Heisman list going into the, the subsequent 2019 season. Now, Joe Burrow won the Heisman, and to the victor goes the spoils. But there was a lot of excitement about Adrian Martinez at one point in time. Two years later, there's been a lot of hand-wringing. There's been a ton of turnovers. There's been a ton of concern that he has regressed and hasn't progressed. But I would, I would caution people to look at what's been around him in that stretch. Nebraska's failed to establish a running back, though Dedrick Mills seemed like someone that could have been a pretty, you know, serviceable Big Ten back. Never ended up being that way, though he'd have big games against Rutgers and Wisconsin when they committed to using him. 
Uh, Adrian fumbles the ball about every 18 carries, which is tough to deal with. But at the same time, when you're a rushing quarterback and you run your quarterback 35% of your rushing offense, you turn the ball over quite a bit. And so I, I think Nebraska has struggled to figure out how to create offense without Adrian. And Adrian has struggled to figure out how to create offense when nothing else is working. And so I think Nebraska's offensive trends each of the last two years have been downward. I mean, they've 2020 was the worst offensive performance in Lincoln since 2009. Um, they, they just have struggled to move the ball. They've struggled to move it in chunks. They've struggled to keep the offense on the field. They've struggled to put up touchdowns. And I think that this year with the, the incoming sort of talent that they have with several high profile incoming transfers, some freshmen, and since there's three years worth of freshmen, I know that's sort of hard to explain. Some guys that are 2020 freshmen, some that are 2019 freshmen, some that are 2021 freshmen. There's a lot of excitement about what he has in terms of pieces around him. So expectations are high. He did come back and play a lot better. Nebraska tailored that offense to be a lot of short throws. His completion percentage went way up because of it. Wandale Robinson is gone. Illinois fans remember him, I think, quite well because of what he did in 2019. And he had a pretty good game in 2020, even though Nebraska, as you put, got crushed. And that game is even worse than the score indicates. Right. Nebraska was not competitive from, what, the fourth possession on in that game. So it was, I think, the biggest aberration of that season because they didn't look like that against any other opponent. And I'm not sure that Illinois looked like that against any other opponent. I was about but to say, for both teams, November, for both teams, Illinois that was an aberration. We destroyed Nebraska on the line of scrimmage. And so – if Nebraska is going to move forward, if Adrian's going to be successful, the line's going to have to open up things. They're going to have to be able to establish a run and then work the pass off of that. I want to ask you, because, uh, you know, we do this 24-7 sports talent composite ranking, and uh, we haven't gotten a 2021 update yet, but Nebraska has the fourth last year, the most talented roster based on, you know, their stars and transfers and all that. And I look at this, you know, the skill positions around Adrian Martinez and you're right, like, there's nothing really proven there, but there's a ton of former four-star talent there. So who do you expect to to be a handful for Illinois? Because um, there's a bunch of four-star wide receivers out there. They they land the USC transfer Marquis Step. So uh, what are expectations there? Who, who's going to step up? Yeah, I, I think the, the big names that Illinois fans will want to lock into that they haven't seen yet, um, Samori Toure, is an FCS wide receiver that came from Montana. He broke Randy Moss's playoff record for yards in a game with, I think, 313 uh, in an FCS playoff game in 2019. One of the last games that he played, he sat out all of last year because he wanted to move up a level, chose Nebraska because they were able to stress to him that they had no other wide receivers, which is fairly accurate <laughs> if you look at what they had on their roster for 2020 and that Wondell Robinson left the program two days before he committed. So... Um, Samori Toure is going to be a big part of what they want to do. He's going to play in the slot. They're going to use him similar to Wondell Robinson, but they're very different. Samori is six foot three, 190 pounds. They can get him to sit down inside of some coverages. It's going to be easier. Adrian had a tendency to overthrow receivers like JD Spielman and Wondell Robinson who were short. I mean, they were five foot nine. It was hard for him to hit them in the middle of the field because he has a tendency to throw high, which also leads to a lot of interceptions for safeties which is another thing that he has on his resume at this point in time. So Samori so Toure, you're going to look to see him a lot. Oliver Martin, who's a name that I think everybody in the Big Ten might know at this point, he started his career at Michigan. He was a top uh, 100 player, I want to say, in the 2017 class. Was down in San Antonio at the All-American Bowl. 
never really materialized under Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, transfers to Iowa, which was his home state, absolutely hates it at Iowa, kind of goes through some decision-making whether he even wants to play football anymore, quits, starts hearing from Nebraska that they're interested if he just wants to, you know, if he just wants to go somewhere and practice and just see if this is what he wants to do anymore, chooses to walk on. By the end of last year, he was one of their better receivers. He didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know how to run the – not that he didn't know how to run routes, but he didn't know the offense. And he's had a really good spring. So I, I actually think Oliver Martin could end up being Nebraska's biggest weapon um, this year. He's got the ability to take defenses deep. He's very athletic, works really hard. I, I look for him to be a pretty consistent player for him. Xavier Betts has a huge upside, another four-star wide receiver. He didn't know what he was doing last year either, so they had a limited amount of times they could get him on the field. Those are their big kind of targets. And then you mentioned Marquis Step. I think the UCS or USC transfer running back, uh, he's going to be used a lot, certainly in short yardage situations. He might be their primary running back. They won't name their their current starter. I don't know why. I have no idea what it gains them. They're not doing it. So we'll see what it is on Saturday. It could be Marquis Step. It could be Savion Morrison, who holds the record in Oklahoma for most yardage by a prep running back. And then Gabe Irvin is a freshman running back they got from Georgia this past year that they like quite a bit. He's had a really good spring. He enrolled early. Yeah, and then I know the tight end, Austin Allen, 6'9", yeah. 250, mm-hmm. and he's got um, – Every broadcast will always <laughs> mention how tall Austin Allen is. Yeah, so he, he, Austin Allen, 6'9". Yeah. Like, they, you just get that always. So and he, he's yeah. solid. Um, they lost Travis Vokalek. I don't think he's going to be playing. Otherwise, they felt like they had two tight ends that could be Sunday guys. You were going to see a lot of two tight end sets. Uh, and then they, of course, like to go hurry up out of that, too. And so that's that could be a bit of a matchup problem. But without Vokalek, we'll see if teams are able to just kind of take Austin Allen out of way. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Uh, one thing that stood out last year is Illinois kind of owned the trenches. Um, and I think their their offensive line obviously did, and, and they returned most of that. Uh, but also Nebraska couldn't get as much going on the ground, probably because Luke McCaffrey couldn't throw the ball very effectively. But how would you evaluate Nebraska in the trenches on both sides of the ball? They um... – I know this sounds weird because Illinois ran all over them and they own that line of scrimmage. I distinctly remember watching, uh, I wish I could remember which Illinois offensive lineman it was, but he took Damian Daniels, Nebraska's nose tackle. And within like a second of the snap already had him five yards back. It looked like they were on ice skates. I mean, Illinois controlled that game last year. It was the only time that happened in Nebraska the whole season. I know that I sound like a broken record saying that, but they feel pretty good about their defensive line and and what they can do in terms of holding up against the run. I think that's going to be a big part of this game coming up on Saturday. 
is I think if Illinois is going to really hurt Nebraska, it's going to have to be in the running game. I think they're going to struggle to throw on this secondary, which brings back three starters and is pretty good. Uh, not great, but pretty good. And so I, I, I wonder that trench battle is going to be really important. That defensive line is the better of the two units. I think they've been winning most of fall camp. The offensive line has a bunch of star-studded guys uh, in terms of the recruiting rankings. They just have to come together and, and gel a little bit. They're, they're young. I mean, they have three guys potentially that are freshmen starting on the offensive line, two redshirt freshmen. One, uh, he couldn't redshirt last year, but in Turner Corcoran, if he starts, he'll be back at left tackle. He's been a little banged up. And then Cam Jurgens could be the best center in the conference if you just remove the fact that he struggles to snap the ball on occasion. <laughs> but from just like after, if the snap yeah. is good, he's very, very good. It, it sounds super weird to say that, but he's, he's a very good offensive lineman as long as the snap is good. Uh, but he does have snapping issues. If that pops up on Saturday, it derails Nebraska's offense as fast as anything. And it, it could put them in a funk. So that's that's certainly something to keep an eye on. But they, they like their offensive line. It's not yet a completely gelled unit. And so that's certainly going to be a big part of Saturday. Is if, if they can get it established to go downhill, uh, it's going to be because that unit has kind of come together throughout fall camp. All right, Mike. Um, I think Nebraska, obviously, with the past couple of years, Illinois has been effective running the ball, and I expect Illinois' run game to be pretty good again um, this year. But my biggest question is their passing game, Illinois. Uh, Brandon Peters has struggled with consistency, even though his most complete game ever happened in Lincoln last year. Uh, and, and the receivers are really unproven, even though they've added a, a few new pieces there, including Isaiah Williams. But Nebraska's back seven looks pretty impressive. Um, yeah. and, and I know defensively, they haven't been a great unit the last couple years, and everybody's experienced, it feels like, with the super senior rule. But why, why are uh, Nebraska people uh, in the program, outside the program, excited about that, that defense, especially the back uh, of it? Yeah. I, I, well, so if you just go with the secondary, and JoJo Doman's listed as a linebacker, but he's almost more of a nickel back in a 3-4. He'll play in coverage a lot. He'll probably match up against who's ever in the slot. And he's, you know, he's going to be a multi-year starter at this point. There was times where he's Nebraska's best defender last year. He's very versatile in that he can play in coverage, but can also line up against a run. Uh, I think he led the team in tackles for loss. So it, it kind of starts – you have JoJo Doman there, and then Cam Taylor Britt is one of their corners on the outside. He's someone that I think has potential to be an all Big Ten type player in the secondary. He's a guy that uh, really kind of came into his own last year in terms of uh, playmaking on the field. He's got great vertical. He's able to uh, stay with most receivers, and he shut down some of the best receivers in the Big Ten uh, for portions of last season. And so he's going to be tasked with that again. Opposite of him, they got a bit of a battle, but they like both of those guys. They have a lot of experience with Quentin Newsom and Braxton Clark. We'll see what plays out there. And then their two safeties are three three-year starters, essentially. I mean, two guys that are old. They probably don't have much of a career looking forward to them in the NFL and Deontay Williams and Markel Dismuke. They both have a young child at home, uh, but they both elected to come back and play one more season of college because you never know if you're going to be able to play anymore and given this opportunity – they're going to get starts. They communicate well. Deontay Williams is one of the better playmakers on Nebraska's defense in terms of forcing turnovers. And they, they got better as the year went along. The team's kind of struggled to, to throw on that. Man, some of that is, and you get this, you've covered this conference a long time. The Big Ten will never be confused for having dynamic passing offenses. Right. A couple a year are pretty good. Uh, so it's always, you always get a little like, 
I learned this pretty early on when Nebraska first joined the conference because it's like, oh, man, this secondary is – they're equipped to handle everything. It's like, well, they don't go against some of the more dynamic passing offenses. You you can't always see it. But at the end of last year, and I know it was Rutgers and Purdue – Purdue's a little bit better than most with David Bell, but they, they held their own pretty well with that group. And I, I think that's kind of how they want to play on teams. They want to try to take the runaway and force you into throwing – Nebraska is a team that strongly needs to get a lead and try to sit on it uh, because I just don't think that with Adrian, they're, they're very comfortable playing from behind a lot. Uh, and, and they're better off if teams have to throw into that defense than if they're able to just chip away with running, which is what Illinois did. They had the field position. They stayed on top of them the whole game. They just ran it right down their throats and Peters made easy throws. So Mike, you, you mentioned it kind of early in this podcast. I mean, this is a great opportunity for Illinois, right? Like all these guys coming back, like Brett Bielma could have had the worst roster in the big 10, but because of the super senior rule, the extra eligibility, he's got a roster that should be competitive at the very least. And this is a winnable game uh, against a team that might have a little bit more talent, but Illinois has competed with the last couple of years, beat them last year, the year before had a two touchdown lead in the second half. So for Illinois, it feels like, Hey, we, we can really kind of maybe expedite some excitement about this program. Well, Nebraska, it feels like, there's pressure there, but you also yeah. said like there's a three and O start possibly there. If they can yep. win on the road week one in a big 10 West game. So what does this game mean for Nebraska? I think it's huge. I mean, it, 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 it always kind of felt relatively important, but as it, as the off season has sort of played out, it's kind of become a, a larger thing. And, and a lot of Nebraska players have talked about like looking at that film from the Illinois game and wondering if they were actually the team on the other side of the field. <laughs> because they just don't see like that was how they played most of last year. And I think they have, if this game was played in its normal spot, like early in, in uh, non-con or, you know, dumped late in November, Nebraska might be caught a little off guard, but this is probably as ready as they're going to be for Illinois. Uh, I, I think that they have a good attitude going out to this. Now they've had, you know, Scott Frost courts distractions, like, uh, nobody's business. And so they've, they've had a fair amount of things pop up here, but none of it really affects the team. Right. A lot of it is just him. And maybe that's the way that it just works is that he's just going to make himself a big enough target to swallow all of it. Uh, but the team is pretty loose. I think they feel good about what they have. And they're, you know, as you're going to say every week in Big Ten play, and as I'm going to say every week in Big Ten play, they're an experienced team. They're not worried about going to, they're going to break in a few new guys but for the most part people have been through this rodeo it just comes down to does this coaching staff have the ability to outcoach Brett Bielema and the Illinois coaching staff or at least get a draw I mean because Nebraska I think has more talent and Nebraska certainly Adrian Martinez has the potential to be the best player on the field but they've often stuck themselves with bad game plans or poor in-game decisions uh, from players or coaches and then they build these holes and as they did in 2019, where they shouldn't have won that game in Champaign, they were able to climb out of it, but you can't do that all the time. And it'll be interesting if they're able to play from out front, they could win this thing comfortably, but the Nebraska that I know and have covered for the last three years, this is going to be a close and late game. We're going to be sitting there in the fourth quarter is going to be within one score and whoever sort of has the ball last is likely going to be favored to pull this thing off. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Mike, uh, you kind of said it like everyone likes to do the, hey, start start early, like have a good start. But is, is there anything else that you think Nebraska has to do to win this game? I, I really do think they have to establish the run on offense. I just don't think that they're going to be a successful passing team 
if they just try to go out. And this is what they did last year. I mean, they played Illinois, their very first possession, tried to throw a pass to Wandale Robinson into the flats. It got thrown behind him. It was a fumble, recovered by Illinois, touchdown, boom, they're trailing. Luke McCaffrey goes three and out, punt, their ball ends up on Nebraska's side of the field, Illinois. It's over. I mean, they just, you know, so the start really matters. But for me, more than anything, and part of it is I get so tired of hearing a coaching staff talk about how they're going to go downhill on someone and then show up and throw it 35 times on Saturday. Are they actually going to try to play that way against Illinois? Because I, I think that's where they can be most successful. If you're able to establish a run and then can work play action off of it, it opens up some other guys and, and their passing offense. So the biggest thing for me is they have to be able to run the ball successfully um, and keep their own defense on the sidelines a little bit. Their offense has a tendency to get into these funks where they're on the field for about 45 seconds. And then the defense has to go back out there and it's usually in bad field position. So I, I think those are the big things. I mean, if, and it's not something they've done often in the last four years, but if Nebraska wins a turnover battle, that would be huge for them too. Mike Schaefer, before I let you go, what is a five-and-a-half-minute weekly press conference like? I, I I didn't even think Lovey had one. I wasn't even there. <laughs> I had left um, because my general duties, I'm just out in the hallway where it's much more jovial and less uh, curt, if you will. Um, I had gotten in my car and drove home and turned on and was listening to it because I had another media obligation, and uh, it was over at that point in time. So, um, you know, I've been part of some fast uh, press conferences, but that one I think – would certainly be up there. Uh, you know, and if Nebraska loses on Saturday, you might be looking at a three-minute postgame. So, and if Nebraska loses on Saturday, then you're probably talking about the realistic scenario in which the Scott Frost exit could happen. Because where that goes from there, you, if you lose to Illinois, and it's not just because it's Illinois, it's because the two games after it are Fordham and Buffalo, and Nebraska's sellout streak is sort of the last thing that it has left standing, even as hollow as it is with as many people buying up tickets to make it seem like a sellout. If you have a half-empty stadium against Fordham and Buffalo in back-to-back weeks and then you go get waxed by Oklahoma and you're 2-2, two and two, not going to be a lot of excitement. Like, so that's it, it really does make this feel like a must-win for Nebraska right out of the gate. But I think this team is better equipped than recent years to handle it. I don't know about the coaching staff. That's the, the giant question mark for me at this point, which I don't think bodes well for Nebraska's future under Frost at three years, four years in. That's still the biggest yeah. question you have going into a season. Uh, but there's always room for growth, and we'll see if that's what happens in 2021. Well, Mike, I'm pumped to see you guys in person. You guys at Husker 247 yeah. do such a great job. We won't have uh, chili and cinnamon rolls. That's not our thing here in Illinois. <laughs> you guys, You guys own that in Nebraska. Yeah, well, Nebraska also has recently owned a lot of 11 a.m. kicks, so a lot of visiting media has experienced the chili and cinnamon rolls. Normally, it's like once a year. Lately, it's been about four or five times. So. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Are you a Nebraska native? Can you explain that to us? Like, what, what is the deal? I don't, know, I don't know what it exactly stems from. I just know that it's like a thing that's here. It was honestly, and I am a Nebraska native, it was like a school lunch when I was a kid in elementary school. Like, it's, it's mid-January, and you go through the line and there's some chili and you get at the end of the line, they slap two cinnamon rolls on your tray. And that's just what it is. It's the, the sweet and uh, you know, salty hearty combination, I guess it's weird, but it's pretty good. Yeah. I'm not going to, I mean, I like both those things. I just never yeah. thought of having them next to each other. Combine. Yeah, I wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't have thought. It's it's a Nebraska thing. It's perfectly Nebraska. Well, Mike, We're very Schaefer, weird people, Jeremy. <laughs> very weird people. 
Uh, salt to the earth, man. Uh, Mike Schaefer, 247 Huskers, a Husker 247. Check them out in the lead up to this game. Mike, can't thank you enough, and I'll see you on Saturday, man. Okay. Well, hey, we'll talk before then because you have more media obligations in Lincoln. That's we right. We're not letting you go anywhere. All 19 radio shows in a market 107. Enough. <laughs> it's awesome. Thanks, Mike. All right, man. Take care. Great breakdown from Mike Schaefer and kind of tells you why Nebraska fans are excited slash nervous about this game and why it means so much to them. Um, I do think this is a, a Nebraska team that has a little bit more talent, especially on the the skill positions. Uh, and for me, Adrian Martinez is the huge X factor. I, I just can't understand why Scott Frost didn't play a, a guy who had, I, I know he had turnovers against Illinois a couple years ago, but um Illinois hasn't been able to stop him the last couple of years, and Lovey Smith's defense hadn't been able to stop him, and they went Luke, Luke McCaffrey, and that was a disaster. But Adrian played better as the season went on last year, and, and now um, you know I, I think he's going to be difficult to stop. But uh, Illinois did own the trenches last year and has a good running game and has an experienced defense back. So uh, I'm not surprised Nebraska is a seven-point favorite despite being crushed last year uh, because I think that was an outlier for both teams. Illinois, um, after those that, that win at Nebraska, just really wasn't good at all, wasn't competitive at all. I mean, think of Iowa. They took that lead and gave up 35 straight points. Now, think of Northwestern. It was 28-10, but score, that, it was 28-3 most of the game. Northwestern was just running out the clock with Cam Porter, who Illinois couldn't stop. And then Penn State, it was fun first quarter with Isaiah Williams uh, going tip for tat with uh, Penn State's great offense, but – Penn State ends up crushing that one, 56-21. to 21. So, um, yeah, Illinois just wasn't very good. Nebraska was 2-2 two and two with, you know, solid wins on the road and, and two close losses to teams that were better than them. So uh, it's not a surprise to me that uh, Nebraska is seven-point favorites going into this one, but certainly a game that I think should be competitive. And I think that first, second quarter are going to be important because Nebraska doesn't know what's coming. And if Nebraska gets down early – you know, maybe they have that sense of, oh, no, right, after all of this huge offseason. But Illinois is going to have face some adversity, too. And, and you know, in recent years, outside of the Michigan State and Wisconsin games, when they faced adversity, they haven't responded very well. So that's where a new coaching staff, new schemes, a new attitude, a leadership uh, from all these super seniors really, really matters. But we've previewed the game. Now I'm just excited to see a game. Now, now I'm excited to see what does this look like? How good is Illinois? Um, and it should be great. I, I don't think Illinois gets a sellout here, guys. Um, I, I think COVID, obviously, some people are going to be concerned about going into a big crowd like that. I think the, the heat and the humidity of this game is going to keep some people away that might have showed up if it were a 7 o'clock primetime kickoff with uh, a little less sun uh, beating down on them. But even if it's 50,000 fans, I think it's going to feel like 100,000 based on what we saw last year in person and it's just gonna be so great to see it's gonna be so great to see college football get back to a little bit of normality here so we're gonna keep breaking down illinois and nebraska as the week goes ahead joey and i are gonna have our bold predictions podcast here in the next day or so um so i hope you enjoyed mike shea for breaking this down give us some great insight uh, about nebraska and why you know scott frost is is taking a little bit of heat but still uh, a lot of people are still in his corner because they want this to succeed man and Given what they thought he could be, given the talent that is on their roster, 
they're still probably hoping that they can reach that. So now it's up to Illinois to play spoiler and put uh, Scott Frost really on the hot seat if he loses this game. Thank you for listening to the Illini Enquirer podcast. Give us a follow, rating, review, wherever you get your podcast. And if you haven't gone VIP quite yet, it's a good time to do so. Derek Piper with his uh, insight on the official visits coming up for Illinois basketball. He's breaking all of that down, uh, as well as my season prediction that I said was sure to be wrong. I've never felt so unconfident because I haven't seen this team very much up close and in person because of Brett Bielma's secrecy here. Uh, but I break down what my expectations are for this team. So check that out at Illini Inquire. You can go, go VIP for just a dollar for your first month. All right, everybody have a great day. Stay cool. Take care of each other, and we'll talk to you next time on the Online Enquirer podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.